listeners to TDM Radio. Welcome to this week in interview. I am your host, Anthony Drago, and uh, it is Wednesday and it is 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And at this time on a Wednesday, we do this week in interview. We have interesting conversations with persons who, because of their work, because of their experience, because of what they do, uh, they they have information that we can benefit from. And so this weekend interview tends to identify those circumstances and those persons and, and we bring them in and we have conversations with them. We bring them into your homes. And um, every Wednesday we do appreciate that you take the time to be with us. Uh, if this is your first time listening to this weekend interview, welcome aboard. Uh, we hope that by the end of the hour, we will have sufficiently um, intrigued you, interested you, so that you will become a regular listener. And to all our regular listeners, I want to say that I appreciate your presence. I, I love your company, and I like the fact that you come back every Wednesday night so we can do this. Uh, to those of you who call in, we appreciate your participation. Uh, those of you who text and have me ask questions for you, I am... Um, honored that you that you think that I can represent your, your thoughts in that way. Uh, before we go much further into the, in, into tonight's program, I uh, usually start with the CARICOM anthem. And uh, if, you're, if you're no stranger to this weekend interview, you know that one of the things that I am passionate about is Caribbean unity. I, I totally believe that the Caribbean should be one country. Uh, what a force we would be to we, we would be to reckon with to be reckoned with by the rest of the world and we have uh, tremendous people we have intelligence we have resources and i think the fact that we choose to go through the world fragmented uh, is, a, is a huge disservice to the caribbean people so of course uh, my my dream is to see the caribbean as one country one nation some type of federation of some sort, some type of political system where we can we can chat our way forward uh, as a united country. So in in recognition of, of that passion of mine, I always start the show with the CARICOM anthem uh, because I think that is one of the most significant steps that we've made in recent time. The fact that we've adopted, uh, we've actually adopted an anthem. So let's listen to Mikael Anderson as she sings her beautiful song, um, O Caribbean. From many distant lands, our forefathers came. Some seeking adventure, some bound in chains. Through battles waged and fought. And pain by test of their courage, our freedom was gained. In homage to those gone before us, the heroes of lands in the sun. Welcome back to this weekend interview. Uh, tonight, we are going to jump right back into politics. Uh, you know, this is one of my, one of my favorite 
areas. Uh, I have a few. I have a few areas that I enjoy. I talk. I like. I like to talk politics. I like literary stuff. We do some book reviews, and I am into health, so we do a health program. But tonight we tonight we're going to talk politics. Uh, we have a special guest that's going to that's going to join us, Dr. Thompson Fontaine, who is an opposition senator in the in Dominican Parliament. I call him a freshman opposition senator because this is his first time uh, in Parliament, and um, Dominica had general elections on December eighth, two thousand and fourteen, and Right now, it is just over a hundred days since the United Workers Party has been in opposition. This term, they were in opposition before the election as well. They lost the election. The Labour Party is in power, and um, the Labour Party is from the government. The United Workers Party is in opposition. So I thought that it would be it would be it would be fitting to be a, a good experience to invite them on to to get their views. And um, to, to just talk to them about what is the experience of being in Parliament. And, and so I thought uh, if, uh, the audience would benefit most from somebody like Dr. Fountain, who is experiencing it for the first time. You know, as if we do something regularly, sometimes we, we take some things for granted, we become numb, we become, our edge becomes blunt. But when you have fresh eyes, there are things that you see um, that may not be obvious and may ha get lost on the person who's always there. So I think he's, he's going to bring to us a very unique, very, very unique uh, perspective on the, the parliament in Dominica. I'm going to be talking to uh, Dr. Fountain about... Uh, in the, what it means to be in opposition in in a in a political system such as Dominica. I, this weekend interview is going to reach out to the government as well, and hopefully uh, they will agree to to come on, and um, they will agree to come on and to to tell us what the, the perspective of what it is to be on the on government side. So far, we've not been successful in getting a representative of the government to come on this weekend interview, but but we will keep on we'll keep on trying. Doc, Dr. Thompson Fontaine is no is no stranger to this weekend interview. As a matter of fact, he was the original host, the, the initiator of the of, of this weekend interview. And I had the honor and privilege to take over from him when he decided to go full into public service in Dominica. And so in, 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 in my role as the host of this weekend interview, he's actually the trailblazer and a mentor of some sort. Uh, before I go on to Dr. Fountain and have him tell us a little bit, let me tell you that in the United Workers Party opposition, Dr. Um, Fountain, I'll call him Thompson, um, he has the position called International uh, Secretary. So, so what I interpret that to mean is that one of the duties I would imagine is that he, he has the responsibility to deal with people like me and you, uh, persons who are in the diaspora, who's Dominicans who live abroad, 
Um, he's the he's the international secretary for the party, and and, and also he is an, a senator. He was appointed a senator on the opposition side in the parliament of of Dominica. So I am going to go directly. It's 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 twelve minutes after eight o'clock. I was going to play you a song, uh, but I think. Uh, the discussion that we have tonight is going to be so full and rich that I am going to go directly uh, to Dr. Fountain. I'm going to welcome him to, to this week in interview. And I'm going to have him say a few words to you and then we can launch into understanding what it is to to be a parliamentarian on the on 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 the on the Dominica um, opposition the United Workers Party. We'll be, we'll be taking a, a break at close to the bottom of the hour, and when we come back from that break, I will open the phone line so you could call in and join the conversation. You could ask questions of, of um, Dr. Fountain. And um, I hope that we, you, you have your seatbelts fastened because we, we are going to have a very exciting and, 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 and interesting conversation. So, Dr. Fountain, let me give you a very warm welcome to this weekend interview welcome back i should say to this weekend interview and we appreciate you taking the time to to be with us tonight yes Anthony, very good night to you and to listeners to tdn radio it is indeed an honor for me to be back as you rightly pointed out back on tdn radio back on this weekend interview i must commend you of course for the great work that you continue to do in basically just keeping the, the Dominican diaspora and, and Dominicans at home in tune with, with some of the major and critical issues. Uh, I last week, for example, your program on um, the passing of Lord Tokyo, I thought was phenomenal, bringing the people to, to talk about the life of this man who contributed so much to Dominica's Calypso culture and, and, and the great work you continue to do. I certainly tell you to you for it. So I'm happy to be here tonight, of course. Um, in my capacity, as you pointed out, as International Secretary of the United Workers' Party Team Dominica and also a Senator of the House of Parliament in that country. Uh, 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 thank you, and thank you for the kind words. And since you reminded me, I, I'm going to take the opportunity to jump in and say that um, the Lord Tokyo, who we featured last week, his his. Um, send off services is, is viewing and funeral services will be on Friday at um, the Baroon Funeral Home on Avenue D in Brooklyn from 5 p.m. I what I will do is I will post the details of that um, ceremony on TDN Radio web page and um, Facebook page and we'll have it on TDN Radio's web page as well. So the persons who would like to come and pay a final respects to Tokyo on Friday, Friday um, the 24th at 5 p.m. at uh, Baroon uh, Funeral Home on Avenue D in Brooklyn. You can, you can get the exact address and the number for the funeral home if you want to send flowers or, or, or communicate with them. I will post that information on the This Week in Interviews Facebook page as well as on TDN Radio um, web page. But uh, Dr. Fountain, you... you as you said, you're no stranger to um, this week in interview. You're no stranger to the public as well. You did uh, a long stint with the with the World Bank. You're an economist by training. Uh, you've been 
pretty much in public service all your life you've, and, 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 and you've gone and educated yourself and come back, so to speak, to the Dominican society to contribute. And we salute you for, for that effort uh, to, to, be, to make yourself available to be of service to, to the country. So before we, we, we jump into, the, into your role in terms of the opposition per se, I want to give you a few minutes to just talk about your experience so far as a, as a politician, as a person who has put up yourself for that type of public service in, in the country, because there may be other persons who are thinking of taking the leap, and your, your experience might, might be what they need to help them to make that decision. Yeah, well, well, thank you very much, very much for this. I can tell you that I... After being away for approximately 20 years uh, outside, outside of Dominica, we concluded my years going to school and also working at the International Monetary Fund in Washington, D.C. I said well done. And then going back to Dominica, I must say I came back to a very different country. The country had changed in a lot of ways. Um, most of it, not for the better. Um, in, in a lot of ways, I, I had a country that had regressed in so many different ways. We had regressed with uh, issues of governance. We had regressed uh, in terms of our economy. We had regressed uh, substantively with regards to just the cream of the crop. I mean, the, the majority of educated young people had left the country. So I went to a very different country. Um, in a way, I was a bit idealistic. And I left Dominica in, you know, in, in the early 1990s, and at that time, Dominica was up and coming. It was a country on the rise. But exports of bananas was, you know, several hundred, uh, at least over hundred million dollars. You had a powerful middle class that was being built up, and the country was going going places. So I decided after 20 years outside to go back to Dominica, and um, interestingly enough, I I I, I formed I joined the opposition, and my main reason for doing so was because I was unhappy with the trend in governance the country had taken. I was very wary of the level of corruption I've seen in government. We had a government that was certainly not looking after the interests of the people, but was more interested in, in enriching themselves. And I got involved with contesting an election. I ran as a member for my for my village where I grew up in Grand Valley, and a lot of, of um, there were a lot of cheating, a lot of of, um, of wrongdoing during the election that actually denied me my seat. Um, in the end, I was told I lost by six votes, <laughs> but just the level of of, um, of dishonesty and, and and flagrant cheating and breaking up the rules that went on there is something I never imagined I would have seen happen in Dominica. I think what that showed is, is the level of desperation uh, and the level of, um, if you like, the self-centeredness that I spoke about, where you have politicians now more concerned about staying in office, or more concerned about the range of power than caring about the people of Dominica. So it's against this background that I found myself in opposition, and uh, uh, unfortunately, we did not lose the election. I still don't think we lost the election. We cheated out of a victory. And um, but you know, I could have, I could have easily 
thrown, as, as it were, in Dominica, thrown a stone there in my back and just, you know, walked out. But I decided to stay. I decided to stay and fight because, you know, I believe that we cannot, the, the good people of Dominica cannot simply surrender to people who, who don't have the interest of the country at heart. Because Dominica is a, is a beautiful country. Dominica has just tremendous potential. And I want to see some of that potential realized in my lifetime. And I think that I've been ideally placed to make a contribution and to do that. So I'm, I'm, I'm in Parliament, and it has been an interesting uh, few months already. Of course, um, my complaint is that we've only met as Parliament one time. You've only met one time? Uh, one time since election. Elections were, were held in December, mm -hmm. December 9th, and we had our first meeting of Parliament almost three months later. Uh, more than three months later, in February 20th, we had our first meeting of Parliament, and there's, there's been no other meeting since. It lasted all of one day, and um, a lot of stuff happened during that time. Um, I had an opposition going in for the first time with a new team, a new leader, in Mr. Lena Flinton, a group of young, committed, um, educated, Strong individuals. I'm, I'm, I'm referring to Mr. Joby Pythak, the MP for Roso, Joshua Francis, the MP for the um, Roso South constituency, Mr. Daniel Luge, Roso North constituency, Ezekiel Basil in Wesley, um, Hector Stags John in Salisbury, and the senators who were appointed myself along with Isaac Baptist, um, who contested in Cassibus, Felix Thomas, who contested in uh, Maho and Monel Williams, who contested in the Central constituency. So we went in there with a, a very formidable team, anxious to do the people's work in spite of what transpired during the election. And we were immediately met with frustration. Um, and not that I want to rehash this, but I think it's important for the historical record to indicate what went on. We, we came in there as parliamentarians, and we were denied making any input, if you like, in terms of questions. We had several questions because government was already operating for almost three months. There were several current issues that were going on with the government to explain to the Dominican public. We were taking our role seriously. We submitted those questions as we were asked to way before the sitting of parliament, only to be told when we got in parliament that there were strangers in the house, the speaker completely misread, I think deliberately so, completely misread the, the standing orders of the House of Assembly, and actually denied us the opportunity to ask for questions. Let's, let's, let's uh, pause yeah. a little um, let's, let's, let's pause on that a little bit. Because um, I, I haven't listened to House of Assembly, as we call the meeting of Parliament, House of Assembly in Dominica in a while, but growing up, I remember House of Assembly both the opposition and the government parliamentarians were given the opportunity to stand up to address to address the house did that take place yes that took place but i will tell you what else um is uh, or to, to place um the that particular speaker apparently she has one function her only function is to frustrate the opposition she's been doing that very effectively for the past um, 15 years, and she was put in there again, and it's great for one, only one reason to continue to frustrate the opposition and to prevent the kinds of questions, um, public interest questions, you know, about government spending, 
about um, certain things that government was in, engaged in, issues that the public needed to know about, and she stopped it. Now, now, no, 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 before, before we go, uh, okay. So, so when you stand up to the to address the house, could you have raised those questions? Okay. Yes. The, the way the way the way it operates. If you want to ask a question of, if you want to ask a question of government, you are supposed to submit those questions beforehand. So before the parliament, you submit those questions to the Speaker of the House of Assembly, and the Speaker of the House of Assembly vets those questions, and then she then forwards it to the government side. The, the reason for doing that, the claim, is that the government should be given an opportunity to prepare its answer. So, for example, we're asking questions about, say, how much did you spend on this particular project, or what's the progress of this particular project? Then they need time to get the answer. So when they come in the house, we'll be, we'll be allowed to ask the questions, but the government will have the answers. So okay. under that pretext, that, that's how it happens. Now, um, obviously, anything that, that any matter raised in the house, so once we are in the house, for example, and in that case, the government was able to introduce two bills into parliament, each of us have an opportunity to stand up and speak on the bill. And if, a, if another member raises some issue, we can directly react to it. But in terms of substantive questions to government, that's the process, and that's what was denied to us. So, 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 so when, you, when, you, when you stand up to address the House, you stand up to address the House on bills that are before the House for debate? Right, exactly. Okay, exactly. And, and then if you have to ask questions, the procedure is that those questions have to be submitted ahead of time and and I guess the speaker has some agenda where she put those questions on the agenda. Yes, and you get yes but what what is what is very dismaying to me as a politician, as a just coming into the process, is the fact that the speaker actually has veto power. The speaker can tell you that your questions are not. You know, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable, and and, and that's one of the reasons I think the framers of the constitution, when they framed the constitution, they had in mind a speaker who was impartial. A speaker who did not take sides, but that's what we have in Dominica. We have in Dominica a government that is that is corrupt related to governance issues, but you also have a speaker of parliament whose sole purpose is to protect the interests of government. So, the similar constitution, I think, good in that respect. And one of the things that we'll be pushing very hard for is a revision of the standing orders, a revision of the of the rules um, to make sure that the speaker does not have so much power because it, it is very frustrating. You know, imagine that we were denied our questions and now the there is a, a good chance the next thing of parliament will be all the way in July, by which time some of the burning, pertinent questions we had, like questions surrounding the issue of the visas, the Haitian visas, we are not, we are not allowed to ask it. By the time we have the next sitting of parliament, most likely it will be the budget debate. We, these questions are either not relevant or they're not as, as current, you know. So, um, you know, it, it's really, it's really dismaying to me, and um, it's really sad. I think that's a very sad commentary on the state of our democracy in Dominica, and it's really regrettable that that's what we have. So, you're saying that we had elections on on December eighth. Um, the new parliament was sworn in, I think, within like two weeks of, of the result of the election. 
No, the what the um the the cabinet government cabinet was sworn in sworn along in. with the with the members of government. They were sworn in along the leader of the opposition. Okay. Um, these were the only sworn in that took place in December. All the rest of the of the um elected members of parliament were sworn in at the in parliament on the twentieth when it met for the first time. On February twentieth. So, so, so again, we say that elections took place on December eighth, and the, the Parliament in, it was only co constituted on February twentieth, almost a full, a full two months after the election. That's correct. So, yes. so how were the affairs of the country run between that in those two months? The well, the, 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 the day to day the day to day function of government is 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 done by the party that wins that that wins the, the majority party in government. They're the ones that do the day to day operations of government. So that went ahead as planned. Um, what what obviously the parliament does is more with regards to um, oversight. Right. It's with uh -huh. regards to the introduction of, of of rules and so on right. and that kind of thing. So the day to day operations was well, not in, impacted or hindered, but the work of parliament um, only started on the on the twentieth. So you say, if I understand this clearly, for the listeners to understand, between the date of the election and the twentieth, when you had the first sitting of parliament, um, ministers of government were appointed, and all of that had already could have gone on before the first sitting of parliament. Oh yes, yes, yeah, sure. In fact, okay. the ministers of the government they were they were. But find their portfolios almost immediately following the election. Following the yeah. election, okay. But yeah. but but the representative of the people who were sent to Parliament, both on the government and on the opposition side, only got a chance to do anything in that regard on almost two months after the election. After, right. And, and, and even then, uh -huh. you know, although the although the the constitution is very clear that the elected members of Parliament, the the elected members. The elected representatives of, of the people, they are elected to parliament, and that happens on election day. The speaker erroneously indicated that um, the elected members were all strangers in the house and used that as a pretext to deny our questions. Minas. So she's saying and that. She, that was, so she's saying that you could not. You were not authorized, or you didn't have the privilege to ask a question until you came to Parliament and you were sworn in. And then, after and then that. took the oath. And then took the oath, right. And then, and then because in Parliament, you take an oath along with the Prime Minister and everybody else. Mm -hmm. All the parliamentarians take an oath that way. So her argument was that, I mean, it, it, is, it is hard for me to imagine that somebody who has been a speaker for three solid terms would make that mistake. And I don't think it was a mistake. Like I said, her role was simply to frustrate the opposition, and she did that very effectively. You know, I can't imagine that you do not know that the, the elected representatives of the people, that election days or uh, election the house, they, they go to the house automatically. And then as members, they take the oath of allegiance, but they don't take the oath of allegiance as strangers. That's just not possible. You know, because if that, was, if that were the case, then anybody could walk up the, the street and take the oath of allegiance on that day as a, as a stranger. But that's not the case. So what, 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 what empowers you is, in, in my case as a senator, when I receive the instrument of appointment from the president that empowers me to be, empowered me to be a member of, of parliament, and as a member, I go in and I take the oath. 
the speaker must say that when you come in, even if you're elected, even if you've been appointed a senator, when you come into the house, unless you take the oath, you're a stranger. And that was the complete and erroneous interpretation of the rules. And, and do, you, do you have any indication as to whether that, that particular procedure was ever followed before? Is there precedence to that? In, in, in well, what has happened, what has happened, the precedent has been eh, um, in that the first, usually the first sitting of parliament takes place very, very close to the election date. That has been the precedent. So usually for the very first sitting of parliament, if it is very close to election day, you don't have basically a swearing ceremony. So you, you just come to parliament, like if it takes place uh, a week after election. Right. The parliamentarians come in, they just have the swearing ceremony, the president reads the statement, and then you adjourn the house. That's what has happened. So in, in, in those cases, you've not had any questions and so on. But because there was such a long, a long period, when already the basis of government was already going on, and the Constitution is very clear, that parliament has a critical role to play in the affairs of governance of the country. So because that period was already so long, we thought that it could not be business as usual, and, and that was the case. In fact, they introduced two new bills were introduced, a bill to reduce the boundaries, the, the national boundaries of Dominica, the, if you like, the national, the natural forest. So, so before, you go, before you go into the details of the bill, um, how were those bills introduced? Those bills were introduced, they, are the, so the bills are not supposed to be submitted to the Speaker of the House beforehand? Yes, they were. They were. So, so we, we, actually, we actually received. So who submitted the bills to the speaker? Sorry. So who submitted the bills to the speaker of the house? The the government side. The government submitted the bill. And they were not. And they were not. And they were not considered strangers in the house in that region. They were not considered strangers. No. Neither were we when we were given <laughs> given to bill. You mm. know, but when once we appeared there in the morning, then your said, questions yes, were, 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 were out of order because you were strangers in the house. Very, 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 very bizarre. But that's the kind of ridiculousness. That's the kind of, of nonsense that takes place in Dominica. And that's why I said I came back to a very different country. Uh, and and it's really sad, but I'm, you know, I'm prepared to fight this, you know, and, and that is why I'm doing this. That's why I am, I am dedicating my time and energy to fighting this, because it's wrong. And um, we've come too far as a country to to be, to go back so much you know it's almost like we are we are for every step we take forward we're taking five back okay and you know so so you were going to you, you we were going to get some idea of the business that actually took place in the house you started to give us some details on the two bills that were introduced at um during that one sitting of parliament let me get to give you an opportunity to do that yes well, yeah, let me give you a quick synopsis of the, of the bill and, and the position that I took and, and basically, and by, by, by far not the, the position of the, of the team, of the party. The, one of the bills was to change the name of the Carib people, of the Carib territory, the name that was given since in 1908 um, when a large area of land was ceded to the first peoples of Dominica, the indigenous people of Dominica, and we call them Caribs, from which the Caribbean gets its name. The government introduced a bill to change the name from, from Caribs and to, to Carinago on the assumption that that was what they called themselves before um, Carib was given to them as a kind of European name. And so that was the bill. The, 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 the substance of the bill, or the bill in its entirety, was let us change the name 
of Carib to Karinago. So instead of Carib territory, it's now Karinago territory. So what my approach to this was, yeah, it's a good thing to change the name, but it is not enough. You know, it is not enough for government. The only gesture that they have towards the, the indigenous people of, the, of Dominica is a, is a name change. Whether you call the rules the rules or you call it any other name, the central means, right? The problem I, I, I had was that there was so much more that could have been done for the Kalinago people. And that was that was where we defrauded the government. So they were like, the answer, so let's change the name, let's change the name. And they would say, no, wait a minute. Why we agree there might be some credence to change the name, but look at the at the at the other side of it. The Caribbean is named after them. What happens to that? What happens to the other Caribbeans in in um in Guyana and those that they have in St. Vincent and so on? And also the Carnival territory is the poorest in Dominica. Massive poverty. How about using the opportunity to introduce some kind of Financing, because there are issues, for example, where the Carolago people, they're not able to use the land for collateral, because the land is held commonly for all the people. And they cannot use the land, let's say, for collateral. What about introducing something that would allow them access to credit? Something to alleviate their living standards. So, in our view, coming in and having a chance to debate that bill, that was the position that we took. And we argued very strenuously that the government was short-sighted in simply changing the name without making something materially different in the lives of the Caranago people. Okay. So that was one. The other bill, which was a lot more controversial, um, was the actually passed the law, which, I, which to me was just mind-blowing, that from all the land in Dominica, the government felt fit to actually take the, the, national, the national park of Dominica, those protected areas of Dominica, to reduce the boundaries. In other words, to take a, to extract a portion of the National Park in Dominica to give to a private developer to build a hotel. What was even worse about this is that this private developer, range development, was going to use the sale of Dominican passports to finance that hotel. So here you have a group of, of, of individuals coming to Dominica, not bringing not a cent to the table, they were given a, a number of passports, God, God knows how much passports they were given, but no, none of that information was made available to us. They were given a set of passports to sell, and then they would use that proceed ostensibly to build a hotel on what was previously national park land. So, so to me and to us in opposition, that is that just that's a sign of a, of a government that is completely blinded, government that is, that is short-sighted, government that has run out of ideas, and is really selling the country short. And that's the approach that we took in Parliament. And it is very clear that under no circumstances would we support such a move. We should be looking to enhance the national park. We should be looking to increase the protective spaces of Dominica. Because that is where we have credit. That is what is going to add value to our country. And then to remove the national park to put a hotel, and you know, and <laughs> beyond the fact that I don't think it's going to happen, because we we raise the issue of what happened with the Layu River Hotel. The same thing. Well, that's, what, that's, what, that's what I was getting ready to talk about. Getting ready to talk about 
the the same strategy was used on the Eugenia Charles government to pretend that they were going to build a hotel in Laio. And I, I I have intimate knowledge about that project because I have I I I was a subcontractor. I had a had a construction company in Dominica at the time, and I had a subcontract um, to to do construction on that project. And I can tell you firsthand that there was no intention to complete that project. There was no intention right. to get anywhere far into that project. It was all, um, in my opinion, it was all intended to to provide a vehicle to move money from the economic citizenship program from the from the public coffers into private hands. Um, Absolutely. So this Absolutely. this this so worries me. It's possible to get. Wow. And you know, and and uh, and that that this is one of the things that really angers me. You know, very much about what's going on in Dominica, because you see it. It's like the guy, the, somebody's telling you, "Hey, I'm coming to raid your house at one o'clock in the afternoon," and you're seeing them coming there with your crowbar and they're opening your door and they're walking up with your television set and there's nothing you can do. <laughs> you know, you see it's happening. It, you know, in broad daylight, and in the place, there's nothing that you can do about it, and, and and that is what it is. And not only that, there is another hotel in the same area. The the, the government of Morocco gave the government um, a hotel, and um, from what we understand is that the money has run out. So you have a white elephant there sitting on land very close to the area, there, and um, this mass of concrete, and it is not finished. So you have two white elephant hotel projects and you're going for a food one, you know, and um, it's just, you know, so <laughs> the debate on the bill was very predictable in that sense. So we, all of us in opposition, stood up against that particular bill. We felt that it was wrong-headed. Government should not, to begin with, should never be given our passport money to foreigners. If you want to, if you want money to go towards a hotel development, let a, a local do it, as has been done in the past. You know, we have the example of Jungle Bay, for example. We have we have that of um, the Gary Hotel. These are two establishments in Dominica that have benefited from that type of project. For the Silver Path, but they're there. They're visible. They're Dominica. They use the money as it was intended. That's not that's not been the case with with, with um, foreigners. So that was our, our argument, basically, that, that nothing will change. And, um, you know, just more theft of money from the public purse. Let me let, let, let's move on a little bit in the interest of time. I'm looking at the time; it's already um, almost um, 45 minutes into the program, and we've only just what? started scratching. <laughs> we've only just started scratching the surface. Um, yeah. But 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 no. But I have I I am very happy to hear um, what. Well, not happy to hear it, but happy for the opportunity to edu- to to introduce. The, the machinations and the procedures to to our audience um, because I don't think persons understand. I, for one, did not know that it was possible to have one sitting of parliament um, between December when you have elections, first week in December, and you said the government could go until July to have the next sitting. The only reason why I say July is because July is budget. So they must have the budget debate. So the constitution okay? does not the constitution does not speak as to the regularity of the meeting of parliament? 
the only guidance the constitution gives on this is that there should be a minimum of one sitting every six months. So that is the that's the guidance that the constitution gives. Now, our argument again, and, and again, the call for reform of the constitution or rewriting, um, is that you cannot have two sittings of parliament in an entire year. You have to be constantly looking at the laws of Dominica. I mean, parliament is supposed to legislate. There's a lot of things happening now with regards to to um, sexual assault of, of minors and, and young women in Dominica. You know, you have you have vulnerable, vulnerable people being preyed upon. You know, every almost every day there there are issues in Dominica that need to be that we need to legislate upon. We, we need as lawmakers we need to be looking at. We need to be looking at laws that are already written and rewriting them to come up to speed with the times, you know. And there's so much work to be done. So you really cannot operate a country on to, on, on funds. But what has happened is what we what you have in Parliament currently is a very powerful opposition, an opposition that is obviously a lot stronger in terms of its competence, in terms of its intellectual cap- capability. Um, it is clear if you look at the at the sitting government and the opposition that we have, and not, not that I am exalting ourselves, but we have to say it as it is, we have an intellectual advantage over them. And there is a, a feeling that they will do everything to frustrate the meeting of parliament because that's what happens. When, you, when we go to parliament and we rise to give our contribution, people judge for themselves. So even in this first debate, when you look at the quality of the contributions on their own, on their own, um, on their own laws, when you look at our contribution on the contribution of government side, people were just shaking their head. It's chalk and cheese. So they obviously don't want to be shown up, and that's what Parliament, in their mind, provides for. <laughs> because once we stand up to speak. People then begin to judge who are the better people, who have the interests of the country at heart. And that's the, not the kinds of things that this government wants. So we will see very little debate in Parliament, I can I can guarantee you that. And the only reason why I'm, I'm predicting July is because they have no choice but to call but to call Parliament to debate the, um, the budget for the new year because of our financial year ends at the end of, of June. Now, let me, let me pause here uh, because I promised listeners that I would open the lines. And let me say that you're listening to this week in interview with Anthony Drago. And tonight, our special guest is Dr. Thompson Fountain, uh, opposition senator in the, government of, in the, in the Parliament of Dominica. Uh, Dr. Fountain, uh, at the head of the show, at the start of the show, I said that he worked... Um, at the World Bank, but he actually worked with the International Monetary Fund, so I'll correct myself there. But he, as a freshman, as a, as a new member of the parliament, uh, we, we thought, I thought it would, be, it would be nice to fit in, to bring him on the show, and to share with us his experience that he has going in as a new member of parliament. And we... I must say some of the information that we get in here is is pretty surprising, uh, and and to under, and to think that most of it is being done uh, constitutionally, so to speak. Uh, uh, when you look at politics around the world, you what you find is that 
you no longer have so many strong men around the world because they become easy targets. Uh, you have, so you got rid of Saddam Hussein and 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 and, and all Pinocho and all these guys. Um, they no longer use military might to stay in power. What they do is uh, is capture the ins very institutions that are supposed to make the system work. They capture it, they control it, and therefore, and they create uh, a sham um, system that that allows them to stay in power constitutionally, quote unquote. So, 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 uh, we would love to get uh, a member of the government on the program so they could hear the government side to explain and to rebut what Dr. Fountain is saying tonight. We, I, I want to come to what as an opposition you think you can that can be done are your hands just tied but before we go into that i would want to give you a chance to talk about when you look around dominica look around look at what is your assessment of the economic situation but before i do that let me tell listeners if they want to participate in the, in the discussion you want to call in the number you can call in is 202 525 7231 202-525-7231 if you want to ask a question Dr. Fountain, if you want to make a contribution, you want to express an opinion, you want to give additional information because you are familiar with it you, you, we welcome you to call in at 202-525-7231 so Dr. Fountain, let us talk a little bit about the economic situation, and then we'll go into trying to understand from your vantage point as the as a member of the opposition what can be done uh, to to circumvent um, all of the systems that seem to be making this um, unsavorably unsavorably um, um, activities and circumstances exist. So let's talk economics. What what do you see as been happening? in the last 100 days, 134 days to the day since the election in, the, in December. Uh, yes, thank you very much, Tony, for that. And obviously that's my, <laughs> it's like that's my forte, and, and that's an area I certainly would not shy away from talking about. And one of the things I mentioned at the, of the program was the fact that I came back to Dominica after 20 years to a very different country. When I left Dominica in the, in the early 1990s, we were exporting almost $100 million worth of bananas. Today, we're exporting $0 in bananas. So we've lost uh, an income stream of over, well over $100 million. Now, the impact of that, and in the absence of any other industry or any other crop taking over, is that you have a widespread poverty in Dominica right now. It means that all of the farmers and, and, and the farmers' children who, who depended upon and the, the banana fruit to, like myself, and I'm sure yourself, um, Tony, to go to school, all of that is gone. You know, and, and bananas fail spectacularly under this current government. So, the, you know, we, we dwindled from, you know, a high of 100 million to the last three years doing 5 million. And then just towards the end of last year, with the onslaught of the black cigarette disease, um, everything, as you say in Dominica, Kaipu Kwasi is completely gone and um, so you have a, you have a, a lot of suffering in Dominica right now economic pains you have a, a really high 
rate of unemployment, particularly among the young people. Um, in my own estimation, as much as 8 out of 10 in the 10 young people are unemployed in Dominica, um, there are simply no opportunities. There are no jobs being created. Government continues to be the largest um, job provider, and government is not growing. I mean, when I, when I, again, when I left Dominica 20 years ago, I, worked, I was working in, in government at the time, and there were roughly 4,000 4, government workers. 20 years later, you still have about the same amount of government workers, still about 4,000 government workers. Um, and what has happened within the private sector? In the early 1990s, you had companies like, like um, Kidman Wireless at, at the time, which is now line, employing close to 500 persons. You had um, um, Domlek employing probably four, a large number of people as well. What has happened now is that this same Cuban wireless line, which employed over 500, is down to about 50 employees. So all of those private sector jobs have gone. Um, if you if you look at the jobs that have been created in Dominica within the private sector, you'd have to add up people working in the small shops. Now you have a, a number of small shops coming on stream. You have a number of Haitians who have come into Dominica who have opened the barber shops and so on. But if you total the number, the combined amount is still about two, three thousand people if you put everything together because in every shop can only have so many employees, you know. So you have a situation where the, the job situation in Dominica is critical, high, high and growing level of unemployment. You have like I indicated a declining economy. In fact, Dominica's economy has grown on average by half a percent of GDP over the past ten years. And for a country like Dominica, you need your economy to be growing by about 5% to be creating jobs and to be creating wealth. So you have a situation where we've had this prolonged, prolonged um, period of low growth and in some cases negative growth. And that, that, has been, that is the result. And linked to this deteriorating economic situation in Dominica, is the social problems that, that are evolving as a result. Because when you have young people, I mean, you go to Dominica today, on any street corner, in any village that you go to, you see the young men just on the street corners doing nothing. They will get into mischief. They will try to sell some drugs on the side to, to make a living and so on. That is what you have in Dominica. So it's a very serious situation, one that has not um, improved since election. In fact, if anything, has gotten worse. Because the... the, the Export situation has worsened. Um, the tourism sector, which we were told was supposed to save Dominica, has not gone anywhere because in the, in the absence of an international airport, in the absence of better access into Dominica, cheaper, better, cheaper access, you're not going to get more visitors. It is very costly to get to Dominica, both in terms of time and in terms of money. So the tourism product has not worked all of that all that well. In fact, we have less people over in Dominica in the year 2014 than you had when I was in Dominica in the 1980s and 1990s. So we've gone back in so many ways and, and, and it, is, it, is, it is very difficult. In fact, it is very despairing, you know, when you see the level of hardship, the level of suffering, the level of poverty that, that, that now exists in Dominica. And, and quite frankly, our only saving grace 
in Dominica, in a way, what has cursed us, because we've lost so many people to migration, that is what has saved us to some extent, because the, the large majority of Dominicans who have migrated have found jobs in St. Martin, in Guadeloupe, in Antigua, in the U.S. Virgin Islands, in Canada, in Europe, wherever they've gone to, and they're sending money back into Dominica. So our biggest export is really those remittances. So on a yearly basis, we have probably $40, $50 million coming into Dominica through individuals sending the money through MoneyGram or through Postal or whatever way that they transfer money into Dominica. And that really is a saving grace for the country. What is the, what is the budget, budgeted um, expenditure and revenue for the for Dominican average annual? Oh, but it is roughly $450 million. Uh, EC dollars, so you're talking about just over 120 Okay. million U.S. dollars. Um, that, in my view, that budget for the size of the country is not enough. Um, our budget is, is, is small. It's the smallest budget in the, in the Caribbean region. It is smaller than that of St. Kitts, smaller than that of Antigua, smaller than that of, of um, uh, St. Vincent and the Grenadines. For Dominica to really be making some progress. We need to have a doubling of that. We should be around 800 million or almost a billion issue dollars. That is where, for the size of the country, if you want to create the kind of jobs and the kind of, you need to be at, at that level. But what has happened to Dominica? Because the economy has been shrinking and because government's revenues are tied so closely to the imposition of taxes through, through the value added tax, the value added tax is good when your economy is growing, because as the economy grows, government taxes increases with it. But by the same token, because it's a value-added tax, when the economy is shrinking, the government revenues are also shrinking. So the value-added tax was introduced in 2006 in Dominica. In the first couple of years, government was pulling in almost $200 million in taxes. That is now just over a million dollars. Right, just so over one million dollars. Just over, uh, sorry, a hundred, a hundred million. So it's cut in half. Yes, yes, okay. Yes, so it has, it has, it has almost, it's almost been cut in half. Mm -hmm. You know, and the trend continues downward. So there's a serious problem for government. How do you take care of your growing demand for social services? How do you take um, charge of fixing roads? Yeah, paying your teachers. Um, meeting government ex expenses when you have a shrinking revenue empire. And not only that revenue is shrinking, but for the past few years, Dominica depended very heavily on Venezuela for support. They actually supported them directly with, with, the, with the budget. So when, we, when, when Dominica sold Petro-Carib oil, it was allowed to keep some of that money. Most of that, some of that money made its way back to the budget. Now that is, that is also gone. You know, so you have a situation where you have shrinking, shrinking monies from, um, from, from grants, and you have increasing expenses because everything, everything is obviously going up, mm -hmm. and at the same time, your vast revenue collection is going down. So the government has a very serious problem on its hands. Okay, so let me, and, um, let me, let me give the number again in case anybody wants to call in. It's um two zero two five two five seven two three one. Uh, and uh, what I wanted to do is to use that segue to talk about a United Workers Party. Well, it's not the government, you're the opposition. What 
type of how how as the opposition can you do you have any options or opportunities to try to mitigate that dire um, economic sit, um, situation or circumstance that you just described? All right, thanks, Tony. Thank you very much for that question. Uh, because we one of the things that we decided very early on, once we are talking about our disappointment of losing government the way we did, was that you know what. There is still a job to be done. There are still things that we can do in opposition. Now, one of the things that we did during the election campaign was that we had a very clear vision as to some of the things that we could do, that we were going to do once we became the government to move the country forward. We are not in opposition. We don't have access to the kind of resources that we would have had as a government, but we can still make some of those things happen. So what we're doing currently in opposition is pursuing some of those ideas. So, for example, one of the things that we are really big on is how do we create employment for the young people? Okay, and one of the things that we were going to really target very, very heavily was to add value to agriculture because that's what God has given us. Our natural talent, our natural resource is with agriculture. So, we have decided that we will, we will attract resources that we can then use to firstly open up the, the magnetic market. So we are, we are going to be, within the next couple of months, we are going to be doing a trade mission to Matnik where we will go and speak to the supermarket owners in Matnik and actually get an in for the Dominican product. So we will have a, a pack, we'll make a, we'll sign contractual arrangements with Dominican farmers to sell some of the of the foods that are in high demand in mat, in the market market. We also ha we have been talking very much about value added to agriculture. So the whole question of canning our products, of um, drying our mangoes, drying our papaya, making goat cheese, you know, those different types of things that we can do as a country to add value to our agriculture products. We believe we can do some of those things. So what in opposition what we are what we are what we're launching and we'll be launching at the end of this month, we'll be launching an investment club. Now what this investment club is an opportunity for individuals who support our vision of what Dominica what we can do. We we're going to be asking individuals to contribute about a hundred, either between a hundred and two hundred and fifty each dollars on a monthly basis that we can then consolidate into a fund and we will then use that fund to attract more resources that we can then invest in one of those facilities that we've been talking about. So that's one of the things that we believe that we can do immediately whilst in opposition to begin to alleviate some of the suffering in Dominica. Because the, the honest truth is that this government is not interested in development. There, there, there are no moves uh, with regards to um, agriculture and adding value to our agriculture product. You know, we see it in the fact that they're not giving support to even barrel products and, and, and other um, mani manufacturing, the manufacturing sector in Dominica. So we believe that we can do it, and that's how we are going to attempt to do it in a way that we believe will work. Because once we, once we establish a certain level, then we believe that we'll be able to attract the, the additional funding 
that we can then go. Because bear, bear in mind, for example, if we have, um, let's use a very simple example, 200 individuals who are committed to this idea, 200 individuals giving $200 on average every month. You're talking about $40,000 a month. All right? At the end of the year, we're talking about 40 by 12. That is, that's almost half a million dollars. I can have after one year. Okay, so that is something that can that can that can move up very 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 easily or very quickly, and with that kind of resource, we can attract additional resources to help us do that. So our focus will continue to be on alleviating as far as possible the suffering of the Dominican public, and the way you do that is by attacking agriculture by adding value to your agriculture product. There is still a great demand for Dominican foods across the Caribbean region. So although we'll be starting with Martinique, uh, and the reason why we are starting with Martinique is because Martinique has, has, is not really opened up to Dominica per se. You have, you have a lot of, um, of vendors who go to Guadeloupe, but you don't have the same in with regards to Martinique. So we'll be focused on Martinique initially, whilst we're doing in the, the, the investment club to begin to, to, to invest in the plant that can begin to process some of our agriculture products. Um, because we believe once you start to add life again to, to the agriculture, then we really have the, the biggest chance of, of impacting, you know, several families and impacting lives throughout Dominica. Now, do you have, do you, uh, uh, I imagine this this idea is still in the conceptual stage, but eventually you would have details of this on, on your website or something? Yes, yes. Um, by the end of the month, we'll, we'll so for individuals who are interested in, in, in being a part of the investment club, for example, the information will be posted on the website this information on how to join. You will have to sign an agreement that outlines basically their participation. It's an investment club, so there's an expectation of return. There's also the expectation if, for example, their situation changes, if they want to pull out of the investment club, or if they want to, um, you know, to pass on their, whatever they invested to their family and so on, all that will be taken care of. So. Is something we believe that we can do for ourselves because we, we have the, the, the notion that as Dominicans, that, you know, if we are seen to be doing for ourselves, it's a lot easier to attract help. And at the same time, we are, we are, we are looking for um, different aid donors. We are looking for individuals who can support our efforts with some of the other projects that, that, that um, we can actually bring on stream in Dominica. No, the, uh, two things I would say to that is one, um, I, I hope that means that we're going past this idea that as an opposition we don't we do not want to see any progress because the government is going to get credit for that progress, which is going to lessen our chances of getting into power. I'm hoping that we that we've outgrown that um, that real juvenile um, type of thinking, and and two. And two, yeah, yeah. I, I, I want to say that it def, uh, the, the second part is we moving beyond that heavy reliance on on aid and grants and loans from outside. Um, this seems to be a, a simple approach, but a, a different approach um, that that we think if it's if it's approach if it's organized properly, it it should get we should get some support from 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 persons all over. So, so congratulations on on the concept and, and on the idea. Now, um, we we we've gone. Well, I, I wanted to just kind of 
briefly um, comment on, on the point you made earlier about government and, and, and so on. In fact, what we've done is that we've repeatedly asked government to sit with us. We are prepared to give our ideas. We are prepared to discuss. In fact, we have recommended to government that they form, uh, if you like, a jobs committee and make it a matter of priority. We have myself, as a lead economist, having worked on, on various economies across the globe, a very good understanding of the way the economy works, what can work. We have other individuals within the party, Joseph Isaac, Joshua Francis, our leader, Leonard Clinton, who have experience in the private sector. We have very sound ideas that we believe government can benefit from, the country can benefit from, and we have repeatedly asked government to sit with us. We are prepared to sit with them and real ideas being discussed, but they seem not to be interested. Uh, and it's, it's, it's really sad. So we are moving ahead because we, we don't believe that we should wait for them. We will do what we can do in opposition. But I think what you will see is, a, is an opposition with a difference. You will see an opposition that is very action-oriented. We're not going to sit still. They're going to do what they have to do to make a difference in the lives of the people of Dominica. No, certainly. Now, I w be before we, we wrap up, let me tell persons, if you want to call us, you still have the opportunity to call. The calling number is 202-525-7231. But I want to go back to the issues that we were talking about at the opening, where um, it seems that the, the inadequacies of the, of the Constitution seem to allow... Um, a lot of loopholes and, and procedural and procedural um, inefficiencies and inadequacies that that seem to that we, that needs to be addressed and shored up. Um, how can we go about uh, trying to effect the, the the constitutional reforms that that seems to be needed? Since you I used to be a member, I, a member of, of the Dominica JCs, um, and one of the things that we used to say in our creed is that government should be of laws and not of men. So how can we make a constitution that is a little bit more independent of the personalities and the, and, and the motivations of persons so that we have a more uniform and a more fair um, governing of our country? Yeah, it has been done before. In the, in the mid-1980s, government brought together a blue panel, or what you call it, a blue ribbon panel, or blue panel ribbon, <laughs> a blue ribbon panel, to, to do just that, to review the Constitution. That was in the mid-80s. You remember it was headed by, by, by uh, Cozy Harris, and included luminaries like um, Sir Telford Judges, who was just outstanding legal minds of the time. Of the globe. Um, Sorry? I said outstanding legal men globally, not just not just globally. Yes, yes. You're talking about an individual who served on the on the Privy Council and was the Chief Judge in Tanzania, Zimbabwe, Trinidad, Bahamas, you name it. Yes, so he was, and and um, so that was that was done. So it can be done again. Obviously, you're talking about. Uh, uh, taking a certain level of a certain amount of resources, but it's something that government can can actually start to put in, into motion. I believe it's something that is required. 
Uh, because remember, the laws have not been looked at since the 1980s. The world has moved along. You can imagine a couple of years ago, for example, and, and a, a very good case was, was that on our laws, believe it or not, there was a regulation where you could not use, you could not use um, video evidence in court to the extent where a young man was killed during carnival. Somebody, somebody filmed the person that, that killed him, but he could not be allowed in court. Mm. And, you know, and, and that was how archaic and how dated our laws were. And it only came to light when that happened as it went to court. And the, the, the lawyer for the, the defense noticed that. And was like, and he, he actually won the case. The guy won. You know, and so you have situations like that where, you know, we, I believe that there's some areas where the laws are archaic, they need to be reviewed, and it's something that government has to, has to put in mind too. You might, somebody might argue, well, we, we don't have the resources, but I think it is something where I'm sure for that type of review, we can always get, get funds from across the globe to do it. But there has to be a commitment on the part of Colin. That is something that, as an opposition party, we will certainly be raising in Parliament and will certainly be pushing the need to have a, a reform of the Constitution. But we do it in Parliament, it doesn't seem like you will get much traction. You, you, you're in a minority, and then you have a, a pretty powerful speaker that's going to be intolerant of anything that. If, if, if I'm if I'm gauging from what you said, um, your experiences so far, anything that she perceives to be not friendly to the government, she's going to be hostile to it. Um, outside of Parliament, what 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 can you do um, to to to? Well, we have to continue to make the case. You know, we have a we have a voice as as either either um, parliamentarians or members of Parliament or even. Um, you know, just caretakers of our constituents. We have a voice. We will take the message to uh, town, have town meetings. Um, we will raise the issue in the media. And we'll, you know, we'll continue to draw attention to some of the glaring areas where we need reform. And I think the case has to be made. You know, the fact that we, we are in the opposition is not going to limit our voice or our desire. Let me, or, or, or to, um, points. let me ask you about taking the legal route and, and suing government um, if, you, if, if we think strongly, if we feel strongly. For example, uh, when, when you say that your questions were not allowed in Parliament because you were considered strangers in the court, you, yet the government was allowed to submit bills as strangers mm -hmm. in the court. Now that Dominica has ascended to the, the CCJ, the Caribbean Court of Justice, are there, are there opportunities to, to take those cases to the, the CCJ? Is there, is there the opportunity to take it to, to the regional courts um, if, if we think that the local courts are just too tightly bound by the local constitution? Um, is there recourse in, in the legal system? Yeah, you see, the the, the difficulty about that eh, is that you you have to go through the local court system first. You you can you can just jump through. You like the process. You have to go through each court level. Like there are not cases that you can just take straight to the 
Supreme Court, it has to go through the different levels. And that's where the frustration is. Our court system in Dominica is extremely slow. For example, a very good good case in point. You recall that um, the, the opposition that challenged the appointment of Eliud Williams as president. And his appointment was challenged at the beginning. When he was just appointed, his appointment was challenged. It was put before the courts. And the ruling came after he had left office two years later. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Um, so you have that kind of delay. And, and I see more of the same. You know, we have, a, we have a serious problem in Dominica where the court system is simply moving at the speed of, of a snail. Hardly moving whatsoever. And, and there's no recourse at the regional level to, to, to make a case that, that, that your, your case is not being given the, the type of expediency that it deserves, and you can go to that high right, court no, and, yes. and do that? But that's the point I'm making. The, the appeals court draws on cases heard in the lower courts. So unless your case is heard, you don't have, a, some, you don't have any, any, anything to step on. So, for example, if, if you wanted to challenge the ruling that was in the lower court, two years later, you'd then go to the Supreme Court. But by, by then, it's too late because but the man is already out of office. The reason I'm saying that is because, for example, we had an election in St. Kitts. And the, the, there was a challenge to the electoral um, boundaries and that sort of thing. And it seems like the the opposing party was able to get that case to move fast enough to get all the way to the Privy Council before, so that it, it could it could have an impact on the election before the election was called. Um, my sense is that if 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 the ruling party had the opportunity, they could have they would have used the same delay in tactics, and then it would have been. Uh, a dead, a dead issue because the elections would have gone, but, they, but they, the other party was able to push it through all the way up to the Privy Council because of the urgency of time, um, because there was an yeah. election looming. Don't we have that type of recourse um, if we think that that we are being denied um, because of the... Uh, there are no checks on right, but I think, I think in, in the case, and that's a very good point that you raised, I think in the case of St. Kitts, it has to do with the conduct of the elections. And so, for example, when, when elections are announced, there are certain things that you can do in opposition. There are certain challenges that you can take forward that must be heard by the court because it's part of the election, mm-hmm. part of the election process that you have to go through. And that is, that's one of the reasons why they were able to get it, to get it done. But in a situation where you're simply looking to do something or to force government hand, it has to go basically like a normal process, the normal court process, and that can easily be frustrated. So let's, let's, put, it, let's put it that way. To be very frank, when, it, when they've tried it in Dominica, even with the case, you remember, even with the case of the Prime Minister, you remember when the Prime Minister was, was challenged? Right. About when he was challenged, the laws of Dominica were very, very clear. You have six weeks after the election to bring up any, any um, if you like, abnormalities or any, any issues you have with the election. You know. The Prime Minister was challenged on, his, on whether or not he, he voted and he was elected legally. Okay, that was brought up in time. The, within the 20 days that was, 
that was filed in the court system. What happened? It took almost four years to get a decision from the court, by which obviously no court was, was going to reverse itself. And we might have been there for it. Oh, by the way, you've been there illegally. <laughs> you know, so we, we've had the situation in Dominica. You have the record in Dominica where it's not very promising. So going the court road, I think, um, personally, I think in a lot of cases, it's a waste of time. Unless you can revamp the whole system, it's really a waste of time and effort and resources. Because this does not this does not bode well um, in the sense that if if you cannot get recourse of parliament and you cannot get recourse in the courts, I mean, Dominicans have been known to to be violent, well, not violent, but um, revolutionary to show, to show their dissent, <laughs> to yeah, show their dissent, yeah, um, and and we of course we 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 know that the country can ill afford that type of disruption and, and possible, you know, destruction to property and, and, and all of that stuff that comes with that, um, as destabilizing as that is. So, so my hope is that as the, as, as the opposition and as the people, we can address those needs for reform um, in a way that, that makes it, you know, beneficial for the country as a whole. And, mm -hmm. And so, as we draw as we draw to a close, I had I had a few other areas where we, we touched on the economic citizenship program. Um, briefly, I wa I wanted to I wanted to you give you opportunity to talk about the way it's implemented and the way the vision of the United Workers Party would have differed from the way it's been implemented because I don't think that. The concept of a citizenship program is a bad idea, but even in, even the United States has economic citizenship program. There are certain areas that are designated as high unemployment areas, a high unemployment industry, and if you invest a certain amount of money in those areas or in those industries, it entitles you to apply for economic citizenship in the U.S. Um, but you're coming in with your money, if you're a million dollars or whatever the threshold is, if if economic citizenship program is properly implemented, it can be a benefit to to the islands. So I wanted you to give you a chance to talk about that a little bit. I also you touched very briefly on the on the, the crime that re, that that can result from from young people not having a viable means of of gainful employment. Uh, so I want to I want to just throw those things as as the final ingredients and just I'll give you a chance to talk about it as we wrap up as we wrap up this interview because we are approaching quickly in, approaching our 90 minute um, limit yes um, with regards to the citizenship program we've been very loud and very clear about our opposition with regards to the way it's being conducted in Dominica um, we've had issues of transparency issues of accountability, and the fact that due diligence does not seem to be done. So over the years, we've had instances of individuals less than savory characters having owned the passport. There is a concern, especially in, in, a, in a world that is so um, conscious of security issues with the rise of ISIS, with the rise of the mafia and so on, that there are concerns that people like that could 
hold of our passports and unless you had a robust um, vetting process that they could take advantage of it. So we are concerned about these issues. We are concerned about the fact that the, the numbers of passports we are hearing of being sold and when you look at the monies coming into the Treasury, big difference, and I'll give you an example. Dominica's program is considered to be the second most profitable after St. Kitts. St. Kitts reports about $450 million annually into the St. Kitts program. Dominica has, over the past few years, registered about $20 million. Wow. They, they have opted. Once, it, once we began to talk about it, suddenly the amount moved from $25 million to $80, $80 million was audited in 2014-2015. And one has to wonder what has happened. What it is that is happening now that not happened previously. My own suspicion is because, one, we were putting the pressure on, and secondly, because of the shortfall in VAT revenues, the government has to transfer more of that money into the coffers. It does not mean that they're suddenly making $80 million. They've been making this $80 million all along. The question is, where is that money? And, uh, you know, in a full disclosure, you must know that I, I have a case pending in the court because in 2010, I, I, I read several instances of um, where these monies were obviously missing. I raised the issue of individuals like Corallo, this guy, uh, Dominica's FAO ambassador, uh, Mafia Kingpin, gets in hold of a Dominica diplomatic passport or passports being sold for $2 million, and the money is not coming back into the Treasury. All of those issues I raised in the public arena and in my newspaper, the Dominican.net. I've been subject, and I was subject to a, to a lawsuit by Prime Minister Skerritt. So there is Skerritt versus Haunting before the court in Dominica. It's going on four years. And the other thing I'm talking about is going on four years every single day I'm crying and begging for my day in court because I believe that the courts will prove that what I was saying is in fact correct and there's a lot of disclosure that has to come out of that case. But every effort is being made right now to frustrate the case, to delay, to prolong it. And it looks like scared we leave off it. Five years from now and this case will not be heard. And that's another travesty of the justice system in Dominica. Uh, so I, I, I wanted to mention that. So, that, so that's some of the concerns that we've had. And, and why we do not um, distribute that money, we said very clearly during the campaign, is that we would not shelve the program altogether. We would reconstitute the program. We will put it back in the form it was meant to be, in the form it was when Miss Charles introduced in 1991. You know, it, that, it worked then. Uh, like I said, it, it, it um, provided money to the, for the building of Galway. The monies where people would invest in a particular project, you could see where the money was going. There was accountability. There was reporting. You knew who got the passport and so on. All of that is out the window. As I speak to you, there is a suspicion that some 15,000 passports have been issued over the life of the program. 15,000 new Dominicans. Where are they? Who are they? You know, and, and these are the kinds of issues that we have. But if you look at the 15,000 passports being issued, and the corresponding money that should have been received in the Treasury, there's a major shortfall. So we have to keep asking the question, where are the monies generated by the program? 
So these are some of the concerns that we've had. One, and, one um, of the questions that I have jumping in there is, I'm always talking about Caribbean unity and Caribbean being one country. Now, with CARICOM is issuing a CARICOM passport, I, I, I have not been able to get a good explanation as to how they reconcile every little country being able to sell their own passports and still have it under CARICOM cover. That, I, I, I'm not, I, it, I'm disappointed well, well, in the way that, really, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. that, that, that this has been addressed <laughs> at, a, at a regional level. Yeah, but sorry, that's another discussion that we have to probably talk about some of this whole CARICOM idea and this whole CARICOM passport. I mean, it is claimed to be a CARICOM passport, but that's the name. In reality, it is not. I mean, I was stopped in Antigua coming on a Dominica passport that says CARICOM, and I joined the CARICOM Antigua line, and I was made to cool my heels. You know, um, as all sorts of questions coming into Antigua, because I've been, I, I've lost count. And just this last time in Antigua, I was stopped and questioned. You know, so it has, it has not made travel within the region easier. Each country is still responsible for its own, its own operations. There is no oversight within CARICOM. The only way you know it's a CARICOM passport is because it is written somewhere on the passport. I think. That's what it says on the I don't kind of recall now on the cover, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that's but, but that's about it. But in terms of CARICOM having some say or some oversight, none of that. It is still the domain of the national government. Okay. Okay, so let's 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 um go on. We, we spoke a little bit uh, do you have from the opposition, are you seeing any concerns with crime or policing or well we've talked on the justice system a little bit. Um, yes, well, the, well. the policing issue, I will tell you my, I'll tell you my concern I have, and, and it, it, is, it is a big one. We have, right now, we have a situation in, in government or in the country where some five police officers have been charged. Um, we, they, are, they have been charged because sometime early this year, they arrested a young man from, from um, Portsmouth, Joshua Etienne. And he was arrested. Uh, they were they charged. He was not charged at the time, but they, they, they said he was arrested because he had he had some ammunition on him. Not a gun, just ammunition. He was he was taken into custody. He went in alive and well. And the next day, he was found dead in his cell. And the autopsy revealed that he had been severely beaten. He had the punctured lungs. His bones were broken. His ribs was broken. He was battered and bruised. This policeman actually set up on this guy and killed him mercilessly in the cell at night. Um, the wheels of justice are grinding slowly. So there is that concern of, about the conduct of police officers in Dominica with regards to the way they handle the criminal aspect of this. We also had um, a situation recently where, where the police were they claimed to have been chasing two individuals on a boat and they both crashed and one individual died because they got gunshots and so on. So you have those types of concerns that that, that are creeping in and, and um where there seemed to me and there was another in, incident um during the campaign where a young man of um of uh, Newtown was running away from the police and he was shot in the leg. Uh, you know, he was shot, running away, unarmed. The policeman shot him, 
so you have the situation in terms of the way the police in Dominica are handling the criminal part of their job. In addition to that, and what is even even equally troubling to me, we have we've had a situation where the Prime Minister of Dominica comes on radio and declares that there is racketeering taking place with regards to the sale of visas to Haitians. Because as you know, Haitian visas were introduced. They were supposed to pay $100 or whatever, EC. Now Haitians are paying upwards of 1000 2000 EC for the visas. And this money, again, is not going to the Treasury. It's going to the individuals involved in the racket. Because the treasury only charges, I think, 300, I can't remember exactly what, I think it's 300 EC, but it's a very low amount, probably 300 EC dollars for the visa. So the treasury gets 300, the Haitian pays 1,500 or 1,000 or, or 2,000, the balance goes to somebody, somebody outside the government pockets that amount, and that's been going on. Hundreds and hundreds of, of visas have been sold. The Prime Minister himself, his own words, was that there's racketing going on with the sale of passports. The same Prime Minister turns around and says there will be no investigation. And the police of Dominica does nothing. I mean, that a crime is being committed. The police knows that there is a crime. They should not be waiting on the Prime Minister to direct them to do their work. And that's my concern about the police. The fact that the police force is so compromised with politics, that they are inept. They are not able to do their work freely as they should. You don't have to wait on the advice of the Prime Minister to do their work. You know, issues that we've raised with regard to the Prime Minister himself and the wealth of the Prime Minister, this should be investigated by the police. No such investigation has taken place. So I think the police in Dominica is severely compromised. Therefore, justice is compromised in Dominica. And the politicians are getting away literally with murder. And unless we can address that issue, I think we're in for a very bad period in Dominica. Uh, and that is my concern. And I'll, con I'll continue to speak very strongly. I mean, I come from a police family. I have three brothers. Okay, there are four of us in the family. Four brothers or four male in, the fam in my family. Three of my brothers, police officers. Okay, so I'm not bashing the police, but I'm just talking, I'm just telling you where we are in Dominica and what needs to be done. And that is something I think that, that, that the police, and, and we've seen it, I mean, part of the problem has been that the police is no longer independent because Skerritt has appointed his lieutenants in key areas. You've had promotions being made within the police force that has been done haphazardly simply because you told the line, you are a supporter of Kerry, you are a supporter of the Labour Party, you are promoted over officers. So you have very low morale, there's very low morale with the, with the police force. People are saying, why should I work myself out? Why should I work hard when I'm not going to get rewarded based on my work? I get rewarded, I get promoted based on my allegiance to a political party. And that, that to me is a serious problem. And, and we need to address this. Um, because people are losing confidence. People are losing confidence in the police in Dominique, and that's not a good thing. Okay, so as we as we come to a close, um, you've painted a really broad picture for us as to what you met. When I say you, I mean United Workers' Party met entering opposition in, in Parliament, trying to be 
the opposition to the government, the alternative for the government. How do you see, and, and you can you can close with that remark, you can uh, use it as your closing remarks and, and, and whatever, what, any other issues or, or information you wanted to give that you hadn't had the opportunity, you can do that. But in closing, how do you go forward in that environment that seems like it's going to be a challenge for the party to achieve um, its objective or to implement its plans in that in that sort of environment, what, what how how do you go forward? Well, that's, a, that's, a, that's an excellent question. Excellent question, Tony. The fact of the matter is, I think what I have what I have going for me is a love for Dominica and a desire to do my best for the country. Because as I've always said, I Dominica gives me a lot. I owe whatever it is I've accomplished in life. I owe it to the country of Dominica because when I look back on my own circumstance, when I look where I came from, there is no reason why I should be where I am today. And the only reason why I am is because, firstly, the country gave me an education upon which I was able to build. Okay, so although I came from a poor family, um, there was enough in the family to send me to school, send me to high school. And that was the foundation. That is what I was able to build upon. In, in too many countries I have been, I've seen young people with potential not having that opportunity. So I'm very clear as to what the country has done for me. And that is what motivates me. That is what keeps me coming back and, and, and working and striving in spite of all the setbacks. And also because I, I truly believe that Dominica can be in a, lot, in, in a much better place than it is today. I have a vision of a country where jobs are flowing, that the quality of life is such that people will be leaving the U.S., leaving the U.K., and coming back to reside in the country. I see Dominica in that place, and I believe that we have a unique opportunity to make it happen. And despite the, the obstacles, despite the hindrances, we're not just going to roll over. We have to keep pushing ahead, you know, and, and I think my fight now is born of my fight, me fighting from the time I was a child, you know, doing what I had to do, working as I needed to work to get where I wanted to get to, and it's that same drive that has me there in this model, in this mix, in this mess, because like, like I said earlier, I could have walked away at the end of the election, I could have said, you know, that's it, I'm done, I'm gone, you know. Um, I could have done that, but I have decided to stay, and the reason I decided to stay is because I know that there is a lot more good than there is evil in, in Dominica, that, that there are people in Dominica who need that direction, that there are, are people like me, with like minds, who want to see better for Dominica, and we need to buy in our efforts, that the people who are doing wrong with regard to Dominica, they are really in the minority. But the larger majority of Dominicans, they are, they are more, they have less power, but they are in the majority. And we have to find a way to empower this majority to take our country back. And that is what drives me. That is what gives me the sustenance. And that is what gives me hope that we will accomplish it. I've seen a lot of, uh, there's a lot of glimpses of good things happening in Dominica. It's right there, it's a very bleak picture. But there are glimpses of good things happening. We saw it during the campaign. Um, Dominican, far larger, good people, decent, God-fearing people who just want to see 
good for the country. And, uh, you know, my being part of Team, team Dominique, I think, is very important. Working with, I'm, I'm fortunate to work with a team, with a group of people, uh, like we have in the United Workers' Party, that all of the like minds committed to bringing change to Dominica. And I believe that ultimately we will succeed in spite of the hindrances, in spite, in spite of, the, of the opposition. Instead of everything that, that has happened with regard to the media in Dominica, you know, DBS being bought by the Labour Party, the Chronicle being taken over, you know, the, the, the opposition has been given a voice on the nation radio station, all of those things that have happened in Dominica, you know, that's just really, really madness. You know, in spite of all of that, you know, <laughs> I believe in the ultimate good of the country and I'm determined to fight. And that's what you'll see from me and from the rest of Team Dominica, commitment to the people of Dominica. But I told the people of Grandfather that I will not desert them, that I came back for a reason. I could have stayed. My life was going well, career-wise. I, could have, I was on top of my career, making money, but... I felt a bladder calling to go back and be a part of my people and, and contribute there and, and you know I'm gonna stick to it. Well, certainly. So I want to wish you and the United Workers Party all the best. Um we we thank you for the work that you do in opposition in providing an alternate point of view. And as as they say sunlight is the best antiseptic we definitely have our mics open to you to to come back whenever whenever you feel that there is information that you that you need to share with the public because we we spoke about it not being possible in parliament difficult in parliament difficult in the courts but def, definitely in the court of public opinion um, with sufficient education i believe we can we we can we can move forward. So, Dr. Fountain Thompson Fountain, we I want to say thank you for the sacrifice that you've made for for Dominica. I actually share your vision that Dominica is such a magnificent place that we should be trying to keep people out of the country. We should have a problem trying to keep people out of the country, not the opposite where our persons are looking for a way out as soon as they become old enough to be aware of themselves. Uh, because we, we do have that type of resources. We are that type. The region on a whole, actually, I, I believe that about the region. And I also share a sentiment when um, you, you express a sentiment that I believe changing the name of the Kalinago people was probably rushed. I, in this day and age where branding is, is so important, I think we've given up a major brand. Um, the people who the region was named after, one of the most desired regions in the world, the Caribbean. Um, we had the people who were named, who, who the region was named for. So a lot of, a lot of interesting um, discussion, a lot of food for thought, and I want to say thank you very much for, for coming. We ran out of time, so that means you must come back. Yeah, we, we only scratched the surface. There's so much more. Um, that we can do. We spent a long time laying out the landscape, and I want to drill into into the, the meat of the, uh, uh, the substance to, to explore possibilities. So I hope you come back soon, and maybe you bring a few of your colleagues, and um, if in your efforts you can bring a few of the persons on the government side as well, they would be more than welcome. So, so good night, and thank you very much.
Well, thank you very much for having me too, and certainly I look forward to being back. I appreciate the opportunity. God bless. Good night. Thank you. Well, listeners, I must say, I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. Enjoy is a word um, that I'm using cautiously because a lot of the information, a lot of the picture that was painted was really a bleak picture. But we are certainly, as Dominicans, we are a, a, res, a resilient people. We are resourceful people. We are creative. And so there is no, there is no challenge that has been laid out uh, tonight in, in, in the conversation that I don't think that we can, we can overcome. But as, as Dominicans, it is our obligation to educate ourselves about the situation to inform ourselves so that we can make the correct decisions. And it doesn't matter whether you are in support of the Labour Party or in support of the UWP or you think there should be a third party. You have a right to, to educate yourself, learn the issues. For example, I did not know that the Constitution only requires Parliament to meet once every six months. I mean, how do you run a country with Parliament only meets twice a year? If the, if the Prime Minister so chooses, he can, he, can, he can call Parliament more regularly. I mean, those are obvious things that we should, that we should change. And um, educate yourself on those things. How can we get our cuts moving forward? Uh, as, as, we, as we educate um, young legal minds, we need to get them aware of all of these challenges so that when they become lawyers, when they become judges, they can push for, for that type of reform. Uh, but as I said, I, it, it does, it, it's not as hopeless as it sounds. Uh, we will keep you informed as we get more information on some of the ideas that uh, Dr. Fountain put shared with us tonight. Um, at the start of the show, I also took the opportunity to inform you that um, the, the the final services for Lord Tokyo, the final services for Lord Tokyo was going to take place on Friday, Friday the twenty fourth, um, at Baroon Funeral Home, and the address is four five zero two Avenue D, D as in David, four five zero two Avenue D, as in David, Brooklyn, New York. And the zip code is 11203. The, the phone number for the funeral home is 718-629-2047. 718-629-2047 is Baroon Funeral Home, 4502 Avenue D, Brooklyn, New York, 11203. Uh, the final services, viewing and funeral services for... Lord Tokyo Calypso Icon from Dominica will be held from 5 p.m. until 9 p.m. on Friday the 24th. I hope I will see as many of you there as possible coming to pay last tribute to a giant of a man um, who had his beginnings in, in Dominica. So as we, as we get ready to wrap up, I, I want to say thank you very much for listening. I, I know we have quite a few um, loyal listeners that we have we have Grenadian Parsi listening we have we have St. Vincent and, and although we were talking about Dominica um, I am sure you identify 
similar um, situations in your own home country. We have Trinidad and um, Parsi as well texting. You know, I didn't forget you. I was just saving you for last. Of course, we have the Dominican Parsi. We also have a few St. Lucians um, also who, who are part of the audience. And uh, I always implore you to, to suggest persons from your country that you think would make good um, candidates for, for this weekend interview. I have a special group of persons that we we went to high school together um, in the 80s. And so, so Judith and the gang of um, Billy, you guys, thank you for, for, for tuning in and listening and keeping the text um, coming and, and, and helping me with the questions. The graduating class of 83-84. Um, a big shout out to you and, 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 and thanks for tuning in. But this has been another This Week in Interview for, for Wednesday April 22nd. I am your host, Anthony Drago. It has been a production of TDNRadio.net. Mm-hmm.